Welcome to Real Native Roots, Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Ya'ate, this is your host, Vicki Oldman. Good day, good day, good day, relatives. I hope you all are well. It is September. It is going by so fast. And everyone that I've been talking to, connecting with, work, friends, family, we all cannot believe how fast this year is coming along. I don't know where you're located, but here in the land of enchantment in New Mexico, I can feel the weather changing. I love fall. It is like one of my favorite, favorite times. I love the colors of the leaves. I love the how the weather is cooler. I've been sleeping with my windows open. I just love that chilly feeling. I I just also just love seeing how things in the fall for me anyway, it feels like things are slowing down a little bit and that, you know, the plants are going within, you know, they're taking time to rest and getting ready for spring, right? So I I'm really enjoying this time as the weather's shifting and it's cooling down. Um, I hope you all are taking care of yourself. Uh, we're still in this pandemic and, you know, just, it's surreal. It doesn't feel real, but it is. And um, so I just hope that you're doing the best that you can to take care of yourself. Before I introduce our guest, which I am tickled that she said yes, and she's here, I wanted to open our space with an offering of a poem um, in this uh, Ojibwe meditation book called Embers. So let me read this to you. I, I just found it so fitting for wh- where we're at today, but also our guests. And it just, I don't know, it spoke to me. So here we go. I'm going to read this to you. For you today, my friends, I raise sacred smoke. For you who are troubled, confused, doubtful, lonely, afraid, addicted, unwell, bothered, or alone, I raise sacred smoke. For those of you in sorrow, grief, or pain, I raise sacred smoke. For those who work for people, for change, for spiritual evolution, for the upward and outward growth of our common humanity and the well-being of our planet, I raise sacred smoke. For those of you in joy, in the glow of small or great triumphs, who live in love, faith, courage, and respect, I raise sacred smoke. And in the act of all of this, I raise it also for myself. Hmm. Beautiful. So, so beautiful. I love that. So... This guest of mine, I'm so excited that she said yes. I feel that, you know, she's done so much to show up as who she really is. She's done a lot in the community. Um, She's still evolving, growing, learning. um, And really, when I talk to her and connect with her, I find that she really is doing her best to stay humble and really provide 
an opportunity for folks to be inclusive in, in the work. I actually met her through social media. I mean, that's the beauty of the social media platform, and clearly there are downfalls. But I met her through Instagram. And I, when, I, when I saw her, I found her feature so striking, beautiful, and I knew she was Dana, but I didn't know fully her story. I started following her, and then, you know, as we started to come into this pandemic, I noticed that she was doing so much for the community. Uh, she herself loves um, to create videos, to do interviews. You know, she has done her part in um, really trying to get the message out there about what we can do as community people in the environment and justice and also just being very transparent about who we are as um in her case, Dine people, Navajo people, um, Native people, like getting rid of the stereotypes. And so we became friends and we've just been in dialogue. And um, she's really moving and shaking out there. She's involved with the Sundance Festival, um, recently got recognized um, to, to um, be a part of like this um, uh, video for Sephora. We'll talk a little bit about that. So I want to introduce uh, my friend, uh, Sahara. Sahara, please introduce yourself. Say hello to everyone. I'd like to say yate to everybody out there listening this afternoon. <laughs> Welcome, Sahara. So glad you're here and tell our listeners just a little bit more about you. And uh, as Dene women, I would love for you to tell our listeners your clans, where your roots are from, where your relatives are from, and uh, just share. Uh, I know after you introduce yourself, you're probably going to have some relatives reaching out to you afterwards. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> it's, I love making uh, connections with people based off of uh, just based off of our clanship. So, yate shike doshe dened to all of our friends listening today. Well, shae sahar kajinari yanishya na kajinen inshlento Persian bushishchin but ani that shche auto Persian that shnale shemat. A Lavina Nez Holia, Ado Shaja, a CMAC Cajinari Holia, Shimasane, Doshuche, a Luis do Tom Nez and Ado Shanala, a son, a Puri Hajanuri Holia, Ado Shanala has seen a Manitaire Hajanuri and Tabich Iri de Nasha. And that's also where my umbilical cord is buried. Uh, my husband is Jacob Crane, and he is from the Sutana Nation, also from the Dene tribe or the Dene uh, family group. So I think in Navajo they would consider that uh, Dene Nadloni. So that's a little bit about who I am. Najona, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. So I have to ask, 
Kajanori. Is that how you say it? Ah, yes. Thank you. Tell us about the name. Clearly not many Navajos have that name. I know it's Persian influence. So what does it mean? (laughs) I'm super, I'm blessed. I got to say, um, having amazing parents, having amazing background. Um, I, I think my name is a reflection of that. So my last name, Hajanuri, uh, Haj is like uh, a lord of, like a person of. And Nur, just like it sounds, is the north. So Hajanuri, uh, my last name, it's an, it's an old uh I believe my great-grandfather is a chancellor of Tehran. So it's kind of interesting um, to have that mix. And recently I did an a interview piece with the BBC, and they had me introduce myself in Farsi. And then I was thinking, my brain is like this train that's always in full speed, but having to jump tracks at the same speed <laughs> at all times. Uh, and making the introduction, I just really thought about that. Beautiful. So is it similar? I, I, I'm just curious in terms of, you know, uh, we know very matriarch and there's like the four, four clans. Is it the same way with Persia? So it's not necessarily a clanship, but in Iran, fa- uh, people recognize familiar last names. So your, your last name would give indication to where you would be from, whether it's Tehran, um, Esfahan, uh, Tabriz, all these different areas. Just by learning somebody's last name, you would have a good idea of perhaps where they came from. I see. Very similar in terms of like the region part, right? You know, as the Neh people... We're all over (laughs) in the sense of like our clans and like some of our clans are in in specific areas, right? In certain regions. And so you'll tend to find like all the Batanis in one area and the Hashlishnis in one area. So um, (laughs) that means you can't date locally, perhaps. I'm teasing. (laughs) I, I can tell you, I'm still a little old school. Like I'm, like I still go by the four clans. <laughs> so if someone asks me that, um, and I'm very mindful of like if you know if I can date them or not. I I was taught that you can't date the you know the four clans, and so I've heard different versions now. Like, well, you can only you, you can date the last two clans, but not the first two. So anyway, thank you so much for telling us what your name means. It's so beautiful. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about where you grew up? Um, I know you did mention a little bit in your introduction, and um, I'm curious to know a little bit about your mom, your dad, um, also your grandmother. I know she was a rug weaver too, and she was a big influence in your life. So tell us a little bit about the family, the roots, uh, and how culture has really shaped you. I could not think the cosmos enough for uh, blessing me with my family. I, my mother, my mother loves to express herself through beading and she's very artistic in that way. And both my grandmother, uh, who is one is full-blooded Navajo. Uh, she didn't really speak English. So living with her, uh, during the first 
I think eight years of off and on for the first eight years of my life, uh, while my mother was still attending university, it, it really gave me a chance to appreciate and to learn my culture. And I appreciated it so much, even as a child. Um, so we lived a rather traditional lifestyle and she was amazing with sheep. Uh, I remember in the, um, kind of in the spring when the sheep were having their lambs or their babies, uh, she would sometimes sleep in the corral. She would have a cot set up, uh, to keep the, the lambs warm to make sure that they would survive. But from that, not only taking care of the sheep, but when we shear the sheep, she makes the wool. And from the wool, we gather the plants together to make the dye. Uh, and then she would weave these masterpieces. And I think seeing somebody create art with her hands, taking um, this live material, you know, this wool, and then turning it into yarn and creating gorgeous hues of different shades of earth and then weaving them together in these uh, geometric patterns. And she never went to, you know, college or university or, or even high school, but she was a geometry pro. And it's just amazing what these weavers can think of and create and so effortlessly they make it look like it, they were born weaving and they probably were. <laughs> Uh, and she was also a seamstress, and that is where I learned how to uh, sew, uh, hand-stitching at first and then working with the machine. And I was lucky because my my Nella Estan, which is my paternal grandmother, she's also um, very talented with the sewing machine. So I, I think growing up with people who are very talented, very artistic, and able to take things from let's say when it came to sewing, taking a two-dimensional uh, sheet of fabric and creating a three-dimensional bodice or a gown or a, a dress, what have you. That was really amazing to see and created this uh, desire to always want to design, to create, to make something two-dimensional, three-dimensional. Um, and later that actually turned into film. Artists, blood runs in your family. So your mom <laughs> yes. did beadwork. Your grandmother was a weaver. Both were seamstress. It sounds like on both sides, right? And what about your dad? My father is, not only is my father brilliant, but he he's very worldly. He has an, he's a master green thumb. We have a huge, we have a two acre community garden and it's called Esther's garden. It's located in Salt Lake city. All of his children, there's four of us. We all have our own special designated plot or area within this big garden. And I have the indigenous garden, of course. And he helped me design this large uh, wooden structure that it's a huge medicine wheel. And within it, we're growing everything from different types of um, Hopi squash to different types of uh, regional melons that are, you know, indigenous to the Southwest region. 
Um, we're looking to do this model, the Southwest potato, but also other things like uh, medicine. So if somebody was living in the city and they needed some sweet grass or sage, I was going to attempt to dabble in growing tobacco, but I haven't. But uh, corn, uh, so we could harvest corn pollen. And any of these things, you'd be able to drive to the, or, you know, find yourself at this garden and utilize what you needed. So he's always been very instrumental in making sure that community is a part of our identity, um, always helping others and thinking of others and not just talking about helping, but physically doing and taking action. And that's really what he, uh, what he represents. And uh, last year he ran for uh, house representatives in the state of Utah. And that blew my mind because he took that, uh, that spirit of just do it to the next level for me. So I really think that, you know, anything is possible. You think it literally, you can do it. Right. Great. Amazing. So where specifically is your dad from and have you had an opportunity to go back home to meet family? Oh, good question. So my father's from Iran. He he actually had to leave Iran during the revolution, and he was 16 when his parents were able to um, smuggle him out of Iran. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil. It was very dangerous. He was always in the pursuit of of justice and wanting things to, you know, to do things the right way. Uh, but he ended up having to leave Iran. Um, he and a few friends that were all a part of the same group that were protesting uh, some of the things that were happening at the time. They ended up in Salt Lake City. They um, had a, they knew a professor who was teaching at the University of Utah at the time. Although they didn't live with him, he was a familiar face in a foreign land. And that's, that's how he um, ended up here in, in Utah <laughs> of all places. And my my father has always been an advocate for being vocal, for having a cause. And I think that just do it has always been ingrained in my mind. And that's more or less how he, how he came here. Uh, he went to Weber State University, and that's where he met my mother. She was a part of the um, residential school uh, programs here in southern Utah. And then they went through the placement program. And she had been moved around and then eventually ended up also at Weber State University. And, of course, (laughs) it was at a demonstration that she saw him, he saw her, uh, they fell in love. (laughs) (laughs) I am a sucker for romance. (laughs) It's like romance during some like wartime slash, uh, gosh. (laughs) I mean, they had some passion there. Yes. And there, I mean, there has to be some fire, right? You need that. You need a little sprinkle of that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am so glad I asked that question because it makes a lot of sense now and the work that you're doing and how I see you in different spaces and what you do for the community. So thank you so much for that gift of that love story. This is actually a beautiful transition 
and uh, hearing what your dad did, how your parents met, you know, coming back home. And I remember when we connected, you know, we were talking, you were saying to me, um, you know, everything comes full circle. And that got me curious. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about like, what does that mean to you? So tell us that story. You know, it's really, it's amazing. So I'm coming to you live from Montezuma Creek, Utah, and I'm back on my res. Um, I'm located in the Utah Navajo portion of the Navajo Nation, and I'm from the town of Aneth, and this is where my video production journey started. I was attending Whitehorse High School. I I knew that there were um, things that I... I had questioned when it came to air quality, water quality, uh, and general health. This was uh, something that was very important to me because I was starting to recognize that there were a number of community members that were being affected by cancer. And it wasn't coincidence. And I learned about the, the, the term downwinders. And that's what our community is. So having uranium mines that had um, that weren't per- perhaps uh, they hadn't been cleaned up properly or contained, all of those uranium tailings were flying in the air, and a lot of people have been sick from that. So uranium was a big issue, and I was uh, I was in high school, and I had an amazing uh, mentor. Um, so I had a teacher who went above and beyond Mr. Warner, and he was very supportive in me creating this, what ended up a huge science project. So I, I focused my concentration on whether or not the Navajo Nation should allow uranium mining to resume on its land. And I did a study of the underground aquifer levels and the, the, content, the contamination of these underground aquifers. And I wanted to learn a little bit more. And for those who are not familiar with this region, if you were to take a five-minute drive, you will pass a uh, an oil well. And at the time, while I was in high school, there was a huge boom. And that's really decreased now. But I also uh, did, a, so I did a number of things during that time. One, I entered different multiple science fairs. And I didn't realize at the time, but you literally, it's like a whole series of science fairs that you graduate to the next and to the next and the next. And, and I ended up at the International Science and Engineering Fair. And it was awesome because I met Bill Nye. <laughs> He's such a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> but a part of the agreement from those who had uh, contributed you know, funds to help pay my plane tickets and um, those sort of things for me to compete a part of the agreement was that I, tra- I dressed in my traditional clothes. So I was at the International Science and Engineering Fair wearing um, a rug dress one day and wearing a, 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 another Navajo traditional, like a three-tier skirt another day. And I had it was I was surrounded by uh, over a 1,000 students from 40 countries around the world, and these are like the, the creme de la creme. These are the... the science and engineering uh, geniuses from each of their schools, from their respective communities. And they were asking me questions like, 
if you're an Indian, how do you speak English so well? Mm. I thought, what? <laughs> um, somebody asked me if there was a place that we could leave our horses when I went to school. Mm-hmm. And it really blew my mind because I realized, holy smokes, we really need more representation of who we are as in, as Native people uh, in, in a modern age. And I think people are so in love with this romantic idea of who we were 200 years ago. And, and I think a majority of, of, of people, at least at that particular science fair, um, they had this like image of this native entity, native being just being the leathers and feathers, quote unquote, Indians. And I, I, it, it was really hard for me to process like, wow, these people think I'm mythical. <laughs> and <laughs> so that, I know we'll come back to that thought in a, in a minute because that sparked a whole different um, uh, avenue for me. But at that point, I, I wanted to do more. So the, all the problems, the things that when it came to the number of people, the cases of uh, people who had cancer locally, people who were affected by different health ailments. Also, you know, the potential contamination of our water supplies, whether it was from uranium mines or maybe uh, broken pipelines. Uh, these are all things that were seriously, uh, I felt like, urgent to get the message out. So we can, you know, at that time, the internet wasn't, wasn't around. I'm dating myself here. Uh, so I could have, you know, a conversation with one or two people in a non-native community. And, you know, I might create some awareness, maybe, maybe not. But then I discovered that if I went into video production, I can create a huge awareness because now I have more eyeballs and I have more ears. And now I have some form of a, of a stage uh, to present these, these issues. So I, I did something, um, I entered the first annual pollution prevention video contest. Um, and it was hosted by, I think, PBS in Utah. And I won and it was amazing. And I was so incredibly blown away that I was 16 at the time and I just made this public service announcement and I had won first place and they aired it on television, um, on PBS in the state of Utah. And I was like blown away that I, I could do that. And it was that conversation of, you know, is there, what, what, can, what else can you do? So if there's a problem or if there's an, a, a, an issue like an environmental issue or a social issue, any of these things, we can be quiet about it or we can create content and we can share that on a, on a larger level. And that's really where you start to create change is once people become aware and if not just aware, maybe outraged that they might want to create action. So that was, that was like my journey at 16. I, I started to travel um, after that, and I wasn't, I didn't think that, um, and at the time, I, I let somebody convince me that I wasn't able to, um, to direct or produce, and, and it took me, you know, a, a decade to actually accept that that was something that I could do, um, but once I was able to uh, to embrace my potential, I think that's when my career 
um, working in, in television or working in media um, actually was able to take off. But that one PSA when I was 16 ended up um, being my my goal or my ambition. And when I heard of the station FNX, the First Nations Experience Television, it's the national native and world indigenous PBS affiliate station. When I heard that this existed, I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is my calling. Uh, yeah, so that's exactly what I did. So I, I was able to land an internship. Um, and mind you, there was like a, like a 10 year block when I was kind of figuring it out. You know, I'm like, I really wanted to direct and I wanted to produce, but I still had that little voice in the back of my head when somebody told me like, I couldn't do it. And I believed them. I couldn't believe I said, I, I couldn't believe I let them convince me like 10 years. But during that time I, I was, uh, I was actually in front of the camera. So I was acting and I was modeling. Um, I was traveling. I was, a uh, a backup dancer. Um, <laughs> you do it all. I know, right? It's like the entertainment, um, figuring out, like performing arts was that where I belonged. And but it turned out that I really, I loved being behind the camera, and I that's exactly what I did. So, but while working at 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 a FNX, I had to really think about and take inventory. What are the things I really loved? So while I was in school. Uh, before uh, FNX, I worked the university. Anyway, I went to the University of Utah, and when they had a study abroad uh, program, video production, uh, learning how to produce your first film, and we went to Genova, Italy, and that was mind blowing. I we stayed in Genova. That's it's actually where Christopher Columbus was from. And it was kind of a, a mixed experience, if you will. Um, and the next, the two following years, I came back as an assistant to the director of the program. So that was helping other uh, students. Um, and I realized, like, I love helping others. I like helping people find their voice, um, create a storyteller within themselves. And so... I took that knowledge to FNX and I was really thinking like, what do I really want to do with this? And I had like an aha moment. Uh, that was my opportunity to help the youth, you know, create their own video or film or media content. And I really loved that opportunity uh, that I had, you know, eventually mentally like figured out what it is that I really like to do. And I'm back on the res, full circle. I'm back in Montezuma Creek, and I'm helping uh, the youth in the, in this region create their first films. So I literally, I'm back where I started and doing what I wish somebody helped me do. But I think that's why I, I like doing this. God, this is, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm looking around like, wow, this is great. It's actually really a beautiful journey. And I feel that you're going to be doing so much more. Thinking about how you describe where you were at 16 to where you're at now, coming full circle. And it all started out with the project, you know, and it just blew up into you thinking about how can I get more individuals to hear the message, to understand the message and be aware and, you know, using media, right? I also love how much you've been reflecting and saying to yourself, is this really what I want to do? And 
the reason why I love that is because I find that it's hard sometimes to figure out what you want to do. You know, I want to do a little bit of this. I'm going to do a little bit of that. And, you know, trying to figure out our part, you know, our part, our contribution. And sometimes I think we have to be quiet. We have to be still to figure that out Uh, because we can't be everything to everyone. And, you know, to really get good at something, it's going to take some time, some energy, you know, some learning. It's taking you 10 years to build these skills. And so, um, yeah, and I love that you are really wanting to focus on the youth. I'm hearing that a lot in a lot of conversations with colleagues, with community, and them really starting to explore, like, we need a youth strategy. How do we get youth more involved? And that's important. You know, we need them at the table to have these conversations in whatever work that we're doing. So you can respond to that, but I I definitely want to um, go to my next question where I'm curious about in terms of all of that you've been doing and the work, particularly, you know, with with young people. Um, What do you find that's challenging in in this work? You know, working with the youth, um, they have their own ideas about who they want to be and how they want to be that. It sounds kind of funny uh, to say that out loud, but I, this past year working so closely, I I have a team of interns. Oh, let me reverse a little bit. So I work for Utah Navajo Health System, UNHS, and within the behavioral health department, there's a program specifically for the youth, it's the 16 to 25 year olds, called the Ina Boho'a program. And this is uh, this has been like a, a great platform for me to be able to work with the youth. And I'm really blessed that this is like definitely my, my target audience um, and that I have the ability to work directly with the youth and have a building, have a space dedicated to just that. And during this past year, um, we've been, I've been launching projects, everything from a film festival to a fashion show, uh, and just a number of different projects, but I have a team of interns and they have been such troopers. (laughs) Uh, they've also been the backbone of my team of volunteers for the Utah Navajo COVID relief program. And these guys, they're, they're really amazing. If, and so we would have interns kind of come in and fill it out and if it fits them, they stay. But if it's not, they're out. So they, they have an idea sort of, of, of who, what they want and, or who they want to be. And the group that has just really um, dazzled me has been the just, such a hardworking, hardworking team. And whether it's unloading a shamrock uh, semi-truck at seven in the morning, so we can distribute 200 care packages to elders that same morning during a drive-through, or filling up a a truck in uh, 102 degree weather, just boxes and boxes of PPE, whatever it is, they, I love that, you know, once they, they know I, I want to help community or I want to make a great film 
or I want to be better at this or I want to explore that. Once they have a sense of what they like, they go all out. Uh, and I think just helping people find that voice or find that desire, or that interest, that's been the challenge, but that's also been what's most rewarding. Well, it sounds like you've become the mentor now. Because uh, <laughs> earlier you shouted out to your mentor. And um, yeah, thank you for being that mentor for these young people. I also just want to thank you in terms of what you have been doing for our relatives, volunteering, and especially during this pandemic. Like I've seen videos of you rolling up your sleeves throwing bales of hay and, you know, um, getting out um, food and just really getting young people involved. So thank you. Uh, thank the interns for really taking care of our elders and our relatives back at home. You've been doing that, you know, a lot of the COVID relief work and, uh, I, you know, been involved with environmental awareness and getting young people to craft their skills. What are you doing now? So the COVID relief program, uh, that was actually created by my best friend, Pete Sands. And he, it's his fault. I'm just kidding. Uh, he has these wild ideas like, hey, uh, let's go grab 300 bales of hay and give them out to the, <laughs> hand them out in Monument Valley. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's also the, the fella who is also, he's also local. He's, so we're both from this community and we went to the same high school and he has his own huge music career, but we have a, a bunch of uh, joint projects that we've been working on together. One of them is a documentary, an MMIW documentary called The Hurting Song. And we had to slow production during COVID while we were chopping firewood and doing hay bales and water and food and all of that. Um, but he, uh, He's also, he created, he had this big idea, um, and by George, he put it in motion. So Sundance Film Festival, uh, this will be the second year in a row, and this is the um, Indigenous Film Lounge, and this is so awesome to to finally have a space at Sundance Film Festival, this internationally recognized film festival, now have a space dedicated specifically for Indigenous filmmakers. Um, so this year I'll be uh, coordinating the uh, Indigenous Youth Film Track and everything from a screenwriting contest to workshops, um, all of the above. That's that's my upcoming project, and that's through his his Indigenous Lounge. Uh, the first year was a huge success, and that was right before COVID, like just like a couple months before it hit, which is kind of wild. Yeah, is- yeah. I saw the videos (laughs) and I heard people in the video say like, this is amazing. And that they're hoping that you do it again. Yay. Uh, It's funny because I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't not work during that particular event. So I did the article. I, I also freelance. So I did the, the reporting, the coverage for Indian country today. And that was an, that's also an awesome opportunity because it's like the, the voice from the res coming to you live. <laughs> and so this will be great to, to be able to uh, 
see the second year because the first year was a success, but sometimes you don't know if it's going to come again. And so to see this come come around full circle, and here we are at the second year of this film lounge, and hopefully this is like one of decades in the future, you know, having this presence. So many exciting things coming up. And I, I would love to eventually transition back into complete directing, producing mode and jump back into making more just exclusively content and then having a whole slew, a whole team of young filmmakers or young, oh gosh, everybody uh, behind the scenes working together and creating more content to really create that that presence, that representation, whether it's on television or in film, whatever it is to enable the next, let's say two generations down. I want them to turn on a television show or um, turn on the, the, the TV and to see multiple maybe channels of content made just from our communities. That'd be so awesome. So that's what I'm really working hard to, to create. Yes, that definitely would be amazing to have more content, you know, on television, movies, shows that have us telling our own stories where our young people, our families can see ourselves and relate like, you know, and I just, yeah, would definitely be on the lookout for that. Yes. And I also think it's important um, to just also raise that we should be at the tables. We should be there um, sharing our examples, real examples, right? It, you know, that's applicable in all the work that we're doing, policy, advocacy, you know, and in, in the media industry, we should be at the table I hear more and more of that, and I think we need to continue to push our way to be at those tables to clear up stereotypes, assumptions. It's just important for us to be telling our story. And you recently have this amazing opportunity. Sephora reached out to you and asked you to uh, be on this video to talk about who you are, and that video you shared a little bit about who you are and, you know, really did your, um, your call, right. In the sense of like, this is who we are and just clarifying. And I just want to congratulate you on that. And I just think it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about that. I was blown away. Um, a year ago, uh, the producer of the series, this We Belong, um, You Belong series from Sephora, this, uh, this big campaign kind of showcasing the diversity of the beauty industry um, or creating that diversity. Uh, that was that was really surreal to receive this message. Hi, I like what you do. I've been you know following your Instagram. And can you answer some of these questions? I want to pitch you as a potential highlight for this video project and I didn't think it was it was possible um but I was yeah sure totally and I submitted my information and I wasn't selected but the girl who was her name is Naomi she's also she's a weaver I'm sure you'll recognize her um she is the awesome superstar who loves to skateboard and her Navajo skirt she's also a weaver um, she was selected, and I was really stoked because 
I have this thing, like I, I always use this term, like I love to see you shine or I love to see our people shine or I love, I just love shining. Like I, if I had my way, like everything would be like a teamwork of the group project where everybody contributed. But I want to see like a huge group just like shine and excel all together in one big lump and then like push the next, like pull the next one through. Like in my, in my perfect world, that's what I would, <laughs> that's what I wish for. Uh, but uh, flash forward or fast forward, uh, one year later, the, uh, the producer contacted me again and said, Hey, Chris, guess what? Uh, we are going to do, we're ready for your episode. And I almost fell out of my chair. Like, wow, is this really happening? So, and Sephora is huge. I mean, Sephora is around the world. Um, and it's, it's an easily recognized brand. Um, this, this conversation about beauty and always flipping through magazines. And I think maybe a lot of other native girls kind of went through this, but you would look sometimes for girls that looked sort of like you. Um, but it was hard because we didn't have a lot of girls that looked like us. And I'm saying it like we all have like one particular look, but in general. And then to to be like an adult and to be asked to be a part of this campaign, um, to be that representation, that blew my mind. So I I had a great time. I had a I worked with their team and we put together this video and I really hope that and, and by the way, I'm, I've, I've received a lot of great compliments, especially the ones that are most meaningful, I think, are from parents of, of young indigenous youth that say like, wow, like I, I can't believe we have like a Navajo, and I have to explain, like actually I'm the second one, but a Navajo, um, like on the Sephora page, like I'm getting so excited. I'm like almost tongue tied over here. Uh, (laughs) but it really it's really meaningful to be asked to speak and to have that discussion about beauty because what that means is really opening the door like of of all different ideas of and perhaps retiring this archaic idea these quote-unquote beauty standards this um weird box that we had put ourselves in for so long and to open that box and to include all different shades and features. And it's really, it's exceptional to see how many people had really, um, who that resonated with. And so I think just that inclusivity, it was powerful for so many. But there was one comment in particular that kind of, it's still like, it rolls around in my head. And somebody had mentioned, like, oh, well, her name is Sahar, so I don't really think of her as native. And it bugs me because that's kind of like a, a wall that I, I, I always, you know, walk into all my life. Just being Navajo and being Persian, it's always being not enough of either. But then I can't be, like... I, I don't I don't quite look totally Navajo and I don't totally look Persian. And so not having that like full embrace on either side has been a little tricky because it's always having to like explain or 
in my case, I always have people testing me, like testing my Navajo, testing my knowledge, testing like my ceremonial knowledge or little things. And I think when people, when I answer them and they're kind of surprised, um, I think that's kind of a way for me to like, to kind of reflect on, I don't think people are as ready for the mixes yet to totally like embrace them um, as full fledged members of the community. But I think the, that, those that are different nationalities um, with mixed with indigenous, I think it's it's a way to kind of open our eyes to just the way that indigenous people are resilient and and malleable, and we can take the beauty of anything and just make it awesome. So, hi. But I think Sephora kind of opened that, re- reminded me of that conversation that I've 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 always had with myself, um, but. Hopefully, any other half indigenous kids uh, who have maybe been given some of that adversity, uh, they can they have somebody that they can relate to. Thank you, Sahar, and again, congratulations. This is a big deal, and I'm so sorry that you have to uh, hear right when we're in the public eye. There's always going to be somebody who is not happy with who we are as people, and. I appreciate you just putting light on that. Like this is, you know, I know that we have um, individuals who come from mixed, you know, um, nationalities and, and it's sad that we have to be tested, right? Like you have to be tested by your ceremonial knowledge, your language and so forth. And so, uh, all I can say there is, you know, those conversations are hard and, and it's hard to just also just speak up to that, you know, like, okay, well, what does a Dene woman sound like? In fact, I, I can tell you, I've, I've had that uh, comment happen a couple of times to me. We're like, you're native? You don't sound native. So I'm like, what is a native person supposed to sound like, right? <laughs> and so sometimes in those spaces, you know, uh, we have to be graceful, smile kindly, and... Um, just move forward, right? So congratulations. I'm just so proud of you. And I'll definitely put in the link, um, the video, so folks can see the video that Sephora did. Um, so as we transition, I I would love to ask you, like you've got you've done so much already at such a young age. And what are some key learnings um, that you want to offer uh, in what you do in your day-to-day or just, you know, just give us some some of the wisdom that you have learned at this point. There's so many things that I have been blessed with the knowledge of um, having been gifted. Um, and I think exploring and traveling, um, for me, it's the joys of food. Food is so amazing Mm -hmm. in that it brings people together. We break bread with one another. Uh, We laugh together over, you know, over dinner. We, um, if you have a, a, let's say a sad event, like a funeral, you feed one another. Um, That's, that's something that every place I ever visit, every home I ever visit there's always something gifted to me in the form of something delicious. 
<laughs> As somebody's grandma wants to make um, tortillas, and I'm, I'll never say no to nanaskare. Uh, <laughs> some Navajo tortilla with some green chili, and I'm happy camper. Um, but I think the the all my all the people that I've ever met in my lifetime, um, they've taught me this is to explore the diversity of other people, take the time to unplug and just enjoy breaking bread with one another and to learn one another and to explore uh, different cultures, different traditions, different communities. And that can all literally be done through somebody's kitchen or at their uh, dining table. So I... And I think to do that, you can't be afraid and you have to be um, open. And I know it sounds kind of funny, but in your everyday life, I think if you're open, you're just curious enough uh, and a, with a healthy curiosity um, and you're able to accept and to be surprised and uh, maybe, maybe except being vulnerable from time to time, um, but then being rewarded with, you know, discovering something delicious that you never thought you would like. I think food and travel and um, good company, these are all things that really inspire me. And then at those tables, you can have deeper conversations. You can have those conversations about, <sighs> sorry to <laughs> bring it up again, uh, but have those conversations about uh, social justice and environmental justice and just always finding ways to be uh, contributing in some way. How can I help or what can we do? Um, and I think food, community, earth, uh, I think that's all kind of things that, you know, as Deneb people, like we just, just coincidentally happens to all go hand in hand. Um, but it does the same with my Persian family as well. So I know it's kind of like a, a, a jumbled uh, reply, but I think learning to just love and be accepting and being open-minded and being willing to take a risk. I mean, those are all things that anywhere I go, I, I take very dearly. Um, it's very, <laughs> I think through my stomach. No, um, I just think through those experiences I've had in my life and everything, everything positive that comes my way, I'm very thankful. And I'm thankful for all the people who gifted me with this knowledge. And it really, it's like, it's universal across the board. Um, you, you'll, you'll meet elders around the world and they'll, they'll pretty much, they always want to feed you and it's, they want to share with you. They want to share knowledge, but it always, you know, generally comes across a bold stew. Oh, you had me at food. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes to all of that. And yes, I was listening and writing down some of the things that you had said. And I really, I appreciate uh, what you had mentioned about food. Yes. Over a bowl of stew, let's connect. Food definitely is a connector. It's a diffuser and it really brings us uh, our vulnerability um, to a whole new level, but really being able to, to just have conversation, right? And so I love that. Yes. I also love how you noted um, about being fully present. It is so hard to unplug. 
And I am totally guilty of that. And I have to remind myself that, you know, Vicki, you need to be gentle with your body to, you know, close your eyes, turn off your video screen, uh, you know, completely disconnect. You need to just rest your brain, you know. Um, so I love that. And I think we need to do more of that. The more we disconnect, the more we connect over food without distractions, it just really takes understanding each other at a whole new level. And, you know, it just helps us in our learning and, and discovering who we are, but also the person that's in front of you or others that you're sitting with. So thank you so much for that learning. All right. Any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners about your work, where you're going, just what do you want, what do you want to leave with them? I do have a challenge for all of our listeners. So I know that this is going to reach a mixed group, but maybe this challenge might apply. So if you could learn three things, this is so powerful to have in your pocket. Okay, one, to be able to introduce yourself in either your indigenous language or the language that was gifted from your ancestors. So that, one. In, be able to introduce yourself. This is how um, the Yindane are able to identify us. So when we introduce ourselves, we um, the holy people become aware of who we are. Uh, kind of like when the thunderstorm comes in and you tell the thunder who you are and that you're not afraid. I think there's a certain power in that. But it's almost like an electricity when it comes when it comes out of your mouth in, in an indigenous tongue. Um, second learn your creation story in whatever form that may be. Uh, but your creation story, the knowledge of that uh, goes back to this uh, awareness of ancestral knowledge, right? And there's so many different things that you learn from this creation story. But even if you didn't grow up on the res, thankfully, uh, Google, <laughs> YouTube, uh, there's so many different resources that we can utilize now. But once you learn it, you can't unlearn it. Um, and if you start to forget, review it, refresh. Um, and third is learn a song in, Nav uh, in your, your indigenous language. And three together, now it's like this piece of identity that you take with you anywhere and nobody can take that away from you. That is knowledge that you have earned you have learned, and now that is who you are. So I have that. That's like my my, my super challenge out yonder. <laughs> um, but in terms of my work, uh, I continue thinking about ways to grow. Um, so I still, you know, develop content, and I love do, being a video journalist. Um, I, I have ideas that I want to move forward with uh, that I – you know, they're still in that pre-production phase, but more or less, I just want to find ways to help our young people elevate their voices. Um, and however I can help facilitate that, I'm here for it. So I, I really want to help our youth really embrace who they are, what they like to do, and then find a way to, to push that out um, to help boost their confidence, whatever it might be. I just want to build a, a team of 
young people who are fearless, who are motivated and excited and have that pride in their cultural identity. So I hope some of you will take on that challenge. And I know it's kind of wild, but I mean, really that could, that falls across, you know, different, different people around the world. I'm sure everybody kind of has something from back home that they could um, present for their challenge. So (laughs) that's what I have. Also, we only have one earth. Really be, be smart about water usage and finding ways to, to use less, um, to think smarter about, uh, energy. Uh, I really, that, that's a whole conversation I could have for a whole day. Um, having worked with an organization called Utah Denepikea as their video, their content creator, uh, finding ways to protect our environment, our sacred spaces. This has been something I've been incredibly passionate about. And I want maybe more youth to pick up that torch and find ways that they too can utilize their voice and their talents to um, protect things like land, um, but also protect culture and revitalize language. There's so many opportunities to do something in your communities and that really starts with you. So that's, let's start with the challenge. (laughs) Oh, yes. You heard it from Sahar. Practice speaking your language. And how you do that, practice introducing yourself in Dinepaza or whatever language your mother tongue is. Learn your creation story and learn a song in your language. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Sahara. I, I can say that... I need to work on my creation story. Like I know it, but I need to revisit it. And uh, I definitely want to sing. Um, I, I When I was younger, I could sing an Navajo song and it's very hazy. So I need to revisit that as well. That's a challenge for everyone. So you can do it. You can do it. And the other challenge is to conserve water. You know, we are, you know, the whole campaign of um, water is life. We need to be much more conscientious about how we are taking care of our planet, our, our water. You know, turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth, you know, when you're taking a shower, when you're washing your hair, turn off the water. Like little things like that make a big difference. So thank you for those beautiful challenges and lessons that you have learned through your life experience. I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time, your grace, your wisdom, your beautiful story. And we will be definitely watching out for you more. I will definitely put um, other things that you're doing in the description below. So those of you who want to follow her and learn more about what she's doing and how she's working with the young people, you can reach out to her. So thank you again. I just want to thank you all listeners for for joining us. Please take care of yourself and be well. And until you hear from me next month, thank you, Sahara. Yay. For listening in today. I appreciate y'all. <laughs>